not to uh, spoil or anything, but this actually might be my favorite episode of the whole show. <laughs> it it just might be. Well, you might not be alone in that. So <laughs> I was waiting for this one. I'm so excited. Okay, let's let's do it. Let's okay. Do it. All right. All right. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Millwood and Micah Discovering Avatar. My name is Amanda Millwood, and I'm a screenwriter, actor, director, and a fan of Avatar The Last Airbender. And my name's Todd Micah. I am the author of Tales from Grimgard, an anthology of dark fantasy, as well as the Grimgard role-playing game. And I had never watched Avatar. Until now. If you've been following along with us, then you know that we're going through the episodes of Avatar, and we are arriving today at Season 2, Episode 15. No, excuse 17. me. 17. <laughs> Lake, Le how do you say it again? Laogai? Laogai. 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 <laughs> yeah. Do you just want to take it from the top? I, I am. I am. And today we are at Episode okay. 17, Lake Laogai. <laughs> We're just going to leave in all the takes of me trying to say the name of that right. Literally. Because it trips me up so bad. It's like that one, uh, who is it? Is it Giancarlo Volpe? Yeah. Name Giancarlo. Laogi. Like Laogi. <laughs> Laogi. Uh, the episode is written by Tim Hedrick, uh, which shortly before we started recording just now, I actually took a step back to reminisce on all the episodes that tim has written um in season one he wrote the deserter and in season mm -hmm. two he wrote such notable episodes as the avatar state which was the premiere episode of season two he also wrote the swamp and he wrote city of walls and secrets which is like this one a really deep dense episode about bossing say it kind of makes me mm -hmm. wonder a little bit if how big a part like tim had in the writing of how bossing say operates besides the creators of the show was tim like hey guys i got some really good ideas and eventually when he came time to do the episodes where they just like what do you got for us <laughs> Have you ever read the book 1984? <laughs> he's just there with like on his desk and he's like <laughs> elbows it off to the side. Like, guys, I got some episodes for you. Right. <laughs> Tim's writing is really good. And just to comment on it, because I was I was thinking about it a lot after watching this episode and and checking to see who had written it. You know, he really I mean, obviously the City of Walls and Secrets bears testimony to it, but things like the Avatar State and um the desert he really likes episodes that draw a lot on the very personal motivations of the characters to decide it's it's not like a he doesn't in my estimation i feel like he takes the characters when they're in a situation instead of what needs to happen and then be like oh who who would it who would be the coolest person or the best person to do this that he writes it from the standpoint of this character is in this situation based on who they are what did they do and it makes for a very natural progression where you don't need quiet time with the character in order to progress them when the plot progresses the character progresses too it's really really excellent yeah yeah, absolutely. Uh, the episode is directed by Lauren McMullen. It is animated by a DR movie. And the episode aired November uh, 3rd, 2006. The IMDb rating of Lake Lao Guy, I got it right this time, yes. <clears throat> is 9 out of 10. 
which uh, respectable, but I think we can do better than that, which we'll discuss a little later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so for our fun facts, we've got, while trying to regain his memory, Jet has a flashback to his childhood in which it's revealed that the rough rhinos were responsible for the destruction of his hometown and the murder of his parents. Very, very cool. Yeah. Like it, I, they didn't have to, it could have just been any Anybody. soldiers from the fire nation, but the fact that they brought back the rough rhinos from, you know, previous episodes like avatar day um, just really shows like how well and tightly woven, you know, the story and the characters are in this world, uh, but not in a way that makes it feel like star Wars where, Oh, everyone's related. Or it's so every, small. You know, the world's so small and yeah. everyone knows each <laughs> other and there's no other mercenaries. It has to be the rough rhinos. Right. Exactly. Um, the next fun fact is that Lake Laogai won the Primetime Emmy Award for Individual Achievement. I don't know what that award is or what that really means. I'm just glad that Lake Laogai has an Emmy because the episode is phenomenal. <laughs> oh, did you just look it up? Yeah, I just I just looked it up. Uh, it says the, uh, the Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Individual Achievement in Animation is an annual award given to recognize the best animators of the year. Um, there are no nominees, so they don't compete with anyone else in the category. They The winners are chosen by a jury. Huh. And so literally, there's a, a bunch of people that go, you know what the best thing that came out this year was? This. <laughs> Very good jury. You're right. <laughs> yes, good, excellent picks on that jury. They had good taste. Good taste. For our next fun fact, according to the DVD commentary of the episode, Sokka's childlike drawings were done by the writer John O'Brien, who based them on his own art style. <laughs> I think that's very funny. <laughs> really? <laughs> very bad sketches of Appa that they did at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> he was the uh, he was the writer of the uh, Avatar Day episode, as well as yeah. the Avatar State. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. This um, that's so funny. All right, so I think that's it for the fun facts. So I we already kind of discussed it a little bit, but yeah, tell me your thoughts on this episode. I'm oh so excited. Oh boy. Okay. So Oh boy. So first of all, since we had just mentioned the 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 animation in this, this is some mm -hmm. of the best animation in the entire series in this episode that I've seen. Ooh, it is interesting. It is so good. I'm just like, where is this coming from? I love like the scenes. <laughs> I love I love the scenes of Jet when he and Katara are like facing off when he first, hey, mm -hmm. it's me, it's Jet, and he starts fire. Like, oh my gosh. And then like the fight, then then like the fight with Aang then down in the in mm -hmm. the in the 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 whatever you want to call it, the compound. <laughs> the crypts. The crypts, the <laughs> yeah. sewers, whatever you want to call them. The animation is is awesome. I'm just like, what what happened? Where was this? I mean, it's always been good, but yes, it's it's very very good in this episode. Um, like ev everybody, everybody had a good hair day. They all woke up on the right side of the bed. <laughs> they took their Flintstone vitamins that day. Like, it's amazing. Yeah, no, it's it is really good. Um, so, I. As I said, this is probably my favorite episode in the entire show. Um, that's not to say that there aren't other amazing, like, oh, beyond 9.5 episodes. But this is the episode that I think I've seen the most mm -hmm. out of any of them. Like, I will just watch this individually and, like, 
just because I'm like, this is such a tightly written, just like amazingly animated story character filled, just like every scene works. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing I would cut from this episode or change about this episode. Um, and so let's just like get right into it. So we start out and um, Aang and the gang are trying to, you know, put up posters to for Appa basically, because, you know, Appa's still missing at this point. And Judy, the actual Judy <laughs> comes in. Oh, reappears. Yeah, out of nowhere. And they're just like, oh, what the fuck? Where have you been? And she mentions that, oh, I just went to, on vacation to Lake Laogai. Totally not creepy, like totally inconspicuous. Um, and she basically tells them that, <laughs> that they can't be putting up posters because of course they can't. They can't do anything. For anybody who watched Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., it was 100% a, oh, I just rehabilitated in Tahiti. It's a magical place. <laughs> yes. I actually get that reference because I did watch the first episode of the show yep. <laughs> um, back when it first aired. Um, yeah, so, you know, they're told that they can't put up posters of Appa, and then Aang <laughs> go, flies off the handle at her, shouts at her, which I love. I just love that he's so fed up. Every time he's like, he hits got... the same anger button from the, the, the desert episode, it's like, oh, here we go. It's, it's, it's... We don't care about your rules, and we're not asking permission. <laughs> <laughs> and then Top just, just, just blows the side of the building off, too. I was yeah. pumped up. I was like, they're, some rules. they're not getting pushed around anymore. No, they're done with this city's bullshit. <laughs> this whole episode, they're so done with it and i and the next episode too and i i am all for it because it's been a low-key annoying this entire time that they're just trying to be peaceful and follow the rules oh yeah and so they do go out and they do you know against judy's wishes start putting up posters and this is i love the part we're talking <laughs> yes yeah. This is one of this is like up there as one of my favorite top blind jokes. So like Sokka tells her, you should probably just come with me. And she gets really angry. She's like, why? Because you think I can't put up posters by myself? And she grabs a poster and the, like the glue and she puts it on the wall. Picture <laughs> side against it, the wall. <laughs> yeah. Like not only is it backwards, but it's also upside down. And then but then and she, she goes, it's, it's upside, upside down, down, isn't it? <laughs> I'll just go with Sokka. <laughs> yes. Once again, just adding fuel to the Taka ship. The every time that these two get together, people are like, "Yeah, ship it." Oh, and I almost uh, forgot earlier when when Sokka shows his drawing of Appa and they're making fun of it. Toph's just over there being, like, "I think it looks great." <laughs> Thank you. I worked really. Why do you have to do that? Oh, <laughs> yeah. uh, he was being so sincere for a second there. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's just that's just a great joke. I were, love that were they, this. Were they having that... a moment? They were having twelve percent of a moment. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> that's barely a concept. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's. I love that this episode. Just speaking on the humor, that even though it is a really dark episode, that it's not afraid to have some humor in it as well. That like nicely contrasts, and it doesn't feel out of place. Like it feels perfect. No. Um, especially in the first half of the episode before we get to the really dark stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, Katara's putting up posters by herself and who should reappear out of the blue who we haven't seen for several episodes, but Jet. I love Jet in this. He's so good. <laughs> I know. I know. And he seems very different than when we last saw him. And 
you know, you can tell something's off and you, you can kind of infer just based off where we last saw him, what happened to him, but yeah, he's being nice. <laughs> yeah. He's being nice and helpful and he's not like skeevy or like, you know, just like, I don't know. He's just, he's different. Yeah. See, and um, girls, when so like your fling from the last summer shows up and he's being all nice and everything, he hasn't changed. He's being brainwashed. Exactly. He has been sent to Lake Lao Guy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. And of course the gang doesn't trust him, especially Katara. Cause she's got quite a bone to pick with him. Um, and so, yeah, and he reveals that he knows, or not knows, but he has a clue on where Appa could be. And so he helps lead them to this place. And obviously Appa's not there, but it does give them a bit more of a clue um, going forward. And so while all this is happening, while they're out looking for uh, Appa, we have Zuko's little side story. And this is, like, I, I love just everything about Zuko's side story in this, but I'll, I'll let you, <laughs> I'll let you take the lead. I have here. a real, I have a real quick question for you before we, we talk about yeah. Zuko though, when they get to the, to the barn place where they like, where Jet leads them, there's like that janitor, that guy who's like cleaning up yeah. the place. That would have been 100% a great, like if it was a Marvel film, that would have been Stan Lee in a cameo. It would have been. The whole time I was thinking of it, I was like, who is this guy? Is it like one of the writers for the show maybe voicing this guy or something? Like a funny kid? Because they, they, they don't really pay the guy much mind. He's just kind of in the background, mm -hmm. just doing his job. And I'm just like, is this like a writer or a director, like in a bit part? No? No? They just regular voice actor? Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um... What were you going to say about the... Oh, the Zuko, the Zuko arc. So so the Zuko arc in this is great because it shows him, first of all, putting back on the Blue Spirit Mask. And Which is always a good thing. <laughs> oh, and it's so good. The part where... The part where the... The Daily... Um, the Daily guy gets lured into the alley and mm -hmm. by the Blue Spirit... And the guy is so confident that he's like got him cornered and everything. And he just attacks the thing. And I was fooled at first too. So I'm like, oh no, what, what did he get? Did he catch him? And then like, it goes straight through him and we see it's a straw, a scarecrow. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, oh, it's a straw man. He got him with the old straw man fallacy. He got him. Got him. <laughs> got him. And then right behind him, and as I'm, I, we are instantly reminded, and it's so great while they've been on the run that Zuko has not been, you know, angry, militant, attacking the Avatar all the time. Zuko, he's been tea shop Zuko the whole time, and right. you know, and he's only whipped out the the swords that he took off the policeman to fight Jet, you know, the other episode, a few episodes ago. Um, mm -hmm. But he hasn't, he hasn't been militant Zuko. He hasn't been Blue Spirit Zuko. And to be reminded mm -hmm. how our boy just owns everyone is <laughs> like, yeah, there he is. He's back. Yes. I loved his Although, arc. I love this whole arc. Yeah. Um, speaking of, you know, him not hunting the Avatar and all that. I love that at the beginning of his arc of this episode, um, we see him at the tea shop and like Uncle Iroh's just been given a giant promotion by this rich guy to give him his own tea shop. And it's like a really good moment for Iroh. And Zuko, of course, just doesn't care. Being a Zuko. Um, and so 
yeah, he's being Zuko about it. Um, and he goes out and Aang's dropping off leaflets about Appa all over the city. And I love that he just grabs it and it's like a trigger for him. Like mm-hmm. he immediately, he starts looking up in the sky and he goes up to the top of the roof of the tea shop and he just sees these flyers, you know, flying all throughout the wind. And we get that close up on his face as he just like grimaces. He's like going right back to old Zuko just from seeing that one image and that one glimmer of hope that Aang gives him for like capturing the avatar. And it's just like, no, damn it, Zuko. We were making progress. You went on a date. You were having fun. Like, and now he's like right back to where he was. And oh, Zuko, you were rough. doing well. You were you fell off the wagon. You were like on step seven of your like 10 step plan. <laughs> right. I know. It really like literally, and I, I've said it before um earlier in the first season, but Aang the idea not just Aang himself but the idea of capturing the avatar truly is like a drug to Zuko it is like even when he separates himself from it like he has for most of season two the second that it comes back into his life he's just like right back into that mode that he was in season one and it's so sad but it's like it is relapsing basically um and because it's a link to parental abuse because for him, he was goaded with the prospect of being accepted back after being exiled if he captured the Avatar. And so to see him again mm-hmm. is like, it just throws him right back into it because the temptation to capture the Avatar is him internalizing again that his worth and his acceptance comes from Lord Ozai and that he mm-hmm. can forget all the progress he's made since then and renouncing the fire nation and being on this whole path from from literally penniless beggars on the side of the street and wanderers and vagabonds to where they are now in bossing say working and employed in a decent place where they're liked by people and they're safe and he's just like, nah, whatever. I can, I can go right back. I can go right back to where I was in that place of capturing the avatar and going back to my father and and winning back my my honor and his his acceptance. And it's like Zuko. We discussed this. I know. It's sad because you get it. Like this poor boy has been chasing the avatar for over two years at this point. And that's the only that's the only thing he's been doing. He has been his laser focused goal. And suddenly in season two, he diverged from that goal, but now it's like right back to it. And it's like, oh, oh mm-hmm. no, baby. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But um, so anyway, getting back to the gang and all that. Um, so Jet is taken to, you know, an apartment or whatever where Katara uses her waterbending to help him remember, basically jog his memory. Um, from the brainwashing that the Dai Li did on him. And that's that's able to help, or he's able to help them uh, locate Lake Laogai. That is an intense scene. It's such a powerful oh, yeah. scene where they recognize that Jet's you know story doesn't add up and that he must have been brainwashed in somehow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When they gang up on him, you're like, oh, shit, what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. I do love that moment. Um you know, when Toph, because she's able to sense vibrations in the human body, like the heartbeat, mm-hmm. and that's how she can tell if someone's lying or not, much like a lie detector test. Um, and when she's feeling the ground and, you know, Katara and Jet are are basically fighting back and forth, and she's like, this doesn't make any sense. They're both telling the truth. And then Sokka, of course, being the genius that he is, 
is like, of course it doesn't make sense because Jet doesn't know that he's not lying. Like he's been brainwashed right. and they're all like, what? And uh, yeah. And then when he, when Jet's gang shows up and they're like, you know, you were taken by the Dai Li and it's, it all starts to come together and you're like, oh shit. Like he's right. Like he has been brainwashed. He himself doesn't even realize like, that's it's more of a realization for him than the other characters like and that's great because we get a real handle on his character where you know we were brought into a little bit more of that personal experience with jet uh, a couple of episodes ago where he was trying to trap uh zuko and iroh and we kind of watch mm -hmm. him and what we talked about the rooftop scene that gave us so much insight into just the way his mind works and to see you know kind of kind of calm you know rehabilitated jet going along brainwashed that eh, stuff doesn't bother me it's fine you know he's fine but then it's it's so painful that the thing that has to be brought up in order to try to shake him back to remembering things that ang is like remember all the horrible stuff the fire nation did to your to everyone you love and you just watch like that cold sweat break out as he snaps back and you know uh, Katara has to guide him through that. I love that look down at the floorboards and then like the look yes. up and you see them like disassembled as it mm -hmm. as his his mind yeah goes out to the water. Yeah. It's amazingly yeah. done. Like I said, this episode, the visuals in them is just it's out of this world. So good. Yeah. It's really, really good um, visual storytelling. And again, we don't, there's no words in this little montage of his brainwash that's happening, but we kind of get as he's piecing, literally piecing it together, you know, okay, so there's a lake and Long Fang is there and then he gets dragged under the water and there are these like catacombs and, you know, that's that's how he remembers. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's really cool and very intense, kind of almost like a nightmare playing out in his head. Um, and just we're talking about this really like intense scene but right before that scene um they're trying to jog his memory and before katara brings out her healing water and um first of all sokka suggests that katara kisses him which <laughs> has confirmed that yes they have kissed before uh -huh. um which we mentioned in the jet episode and then even funnier he grabs a piece of hay from the bed from the mattress and he just sticks puts it in his, his mouth, mouth. <laughs> to see if it puts <laughs> him back in into jet mode <laughs> oh yes honestly i probably would have done the same thing <laughs> it's but, like such an integral part of his character but hey you know what you know headcanon here you know although they joke that katara kissed him you know she shot back that Sokka should kissed him so have they <laughs> kissed before <laughs> Yes, canon accepted. <laughs> uh, Jocka is my new ship. There's so much tension. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we finally figure out, okay, Lake Laogai under a lake um, outside of the Earth Kingdom. So they like hightail it out there. And sure enough, it's there. There's like a secret tunnel. <laughs> secret, secret tunnel. tunnel. <laughs> and, also, and also the gang is still just bossing it at this point because like Toph goes up and she just stomps up the passage and then just ch chops the cap off of it and down they go yes. like they're not wasting yep. any time this is mission impossible nope. it really is they are on a mission and they are not afraid to kick some ass while they're completing this mission um so they go into several different rooms and we see 
the brainwashing room for the Judies, all of the oh, Judies. Man, uh, that that was so freaky. That was the freakiest, most intense part of the whole episode, right there for me. Was that moment where you're watching just a squad of these women all being programmed simultaneously to be ready to be used by the Daily, and mm-hmm. I'm just like, there's like a fisheye lens. So yeah. it makes it feel very distorted and creepy and like it's all green because of the crystals throughout, you know, the the catacombs. And oh, yeah. Yeah. And they're all just like wide eyed staring at the camera. Like and I'll be saying it a bunch of times because I have multiple spots in my notes where I've written best animation in the series so far that the, the it's it's not even just oh it looks really good it's really pretty it looks the characters really proportional or like the poses they end up in during like fight scenes are good or the perspective is great there is as you said a lot of visual storytelling but there's a lot of things they do visually that like they didn't have to do you could have had a panning shot across the faces of all the women like that would have been one thing but the fact that they're like mm-hmm. what if somebody went what if we draw them all standing together and we just make this look like this fisheye perspective on all of them as they stare past us as they're being indoctrinated and repeating things back and i'm like yeah it's amazing it's it's very very effective um and then we get a fake out this always gets me because like they are passing the yeah you know what i'm talking about Mm -hmm. They're passing the rooms. They're like opening all these different doors, trying to find the room that Op is being held in. And then we get an inside perspective from the room that Op is in. As the door is opening, you see like the shadow of the door open. And you're thinking that it's the gang, but no, it's Zuko. <laughs> and you're like, damn it. <laughs> They're so, so good. Close. So good. Yeah. See, that, that's how you subvert expectation right there. Like, that, that is so, so effective, even now, watching it all these years later. Like I said, this is one of my most, if not my most watched episode of the entire show. And it still gets me every time. Like, I'm like, ah, they're so close. But let's, um, but, but I know while this t- moment takes place a little later in the episode, let's hang, though, with this moment on Zuko. Because Zuko was there, and he's, I, I really love it, because I thought the exact same thing. Uncle Iroh it turns out follows him in mm-hmm. and is there and confronts him in the room with, with Abba. And it's like, what are you, what in the world, what in the world are you going to do? It reminded me of that line from the dark Knight where he's like, a, I'm a dog chasing a car. If I ever caught it, I don't know what I'd do with it. Exactly. And he says basically that to him. He was like, well, how in the world are you going to get the flying bison out of here? And even then, if you get out of here, where are you going to go and what are you going to do? And he's like, oh, I guess I'll figure that out when I get there. And and I recalls him out on the very thing I did in um, the Siege of the North Part 2, where I'm like, yep. where is he going with the Avatar? He's wandering into the frozen wilderness to die, you idiot. And I'm pretty... I'm pretty sure, if I remember correctly, that I actually mentioned this exact moment that I, I told you there's a moment where this Zuko's like lack of planning becomes like he gets smacked in the face with it. Because, yeah, like what you need to think things through, honey. You yeah. can't just have a pl- Yeah, he never has a plan. And that also comes back in season three as well. So we'll talk about that when we get to it. But, yeah, I love that this is the first time. And I think this is the really the only time that, that I'm trying to recall 
that Iroh ever gets mad, like mm -hmm. genuinely mad mm -hmm. at Zuko and calls him out on his bullshit mm -hmm. because, and it's totally warranted. Like, oh, yeah. like Zuko has had this talk coming for a long time and he needed it probably earlier, but. You know what I really um, love? I love when he refers to me, he says, no, Prince Zuko, to remind him of who he is. I love that he yeah. is using the term Prince Zuko in these episodes to like remind Zuko his identity. He's not an exile who doesn't deserve his title. He's not the disappointing son in his family. He is Prince Zuko. And it's a really good thing because it's a grounding, it's a grounding like <clears throat> it's intended to ground him back into his identity because while the fact that he was a prince and came from a royal family was a huge stumbling block for him during their humble exile where they were wandering and it, and it was a, a source of vanity and difficulty and struggle for Zuko, he is, he is royalty. He has royal blood. His existence means something and there should be a pride he takes in who he is. And in the best moment that the concluding line of the scene, I believe it is, where he says, Prince Zuko, who are you and what do you want? Yep. I full body chills every single time. Mm. The entire monologue with that, those lines specifically just get me every time. And like, I don't know. It's just because as someone, I mean, you're older than me, but as a 24 year old, you know, I constantly ask that to myself. Like, I know, like, now who I am and what I want. But, like, as I was going through, you know, COVID and, like, even before when I was still living at home, I was like, what am I doing? Like, what am I supposed to be doing with my life right now? Like, mm -hmm. having those existential thoughts. And this line would come into my head all the time. Who are you? And what do you want? Yeah. Like, not even just angry, but just, like, asking myself that constantly. And, now I feel like I'm at the point where I know who I am and what I want out of my life. And that's a good thing. Like, I feel like a lot of people coming into their, you know, mid to 20 or uh, mid to late 20 should start to ask themselves those questions if they haven't already. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, that that line has always had a very profound effect on me. And the way that Mako delivers it. Oh, my God. Which yeah. is so much like it's so much love, but so much like pent up anger as well at his nephew for just fucking up everything and yeah. like just going on this wild goose chase all this time for the avatar now for appa just like dude figure it out like this is not all that there is to life you yeah. have you have you know more that you can offer and you know what what is it that you want to do this is something that someone else has put on you yeah this is what your father has put on you and your family and I've only gone along with it because I love you and I want you to be safe. And, you know, that's that's the only reason I don't want this for you. Yeah, um, it, it's great. And, you know, and to to follow follow even further and build even further on exactly what you're saying. You know, a lot of people think that when you get older and when you have to be an adult and the adulting begins, they think that independence and being your own person starts with things like having your own job so you have your own money and then getting your own space so that you have your own space. You can do whatever you want. You can spend your money how you please. You can go where you want to go, see who you want to see. You no longer have to live under parental permission. But it's so much more than that. And it's it's not that it's just that it's more. It's not even those things. You can 
you know, people who have to grow up uh, faster in life than other people, people who have to face difficulties where they have to take on the responsibilities of adulthood and become mature faster, know that long before you can ever get your own job or move out into your own place and into your own space, what has to happen is that you have to answer these very questions. Before you can go and live in your own space and do whatever you want with your money, who are you? If you had those things, what would you do? Well, you have to decide those things because there are lots of people, someone like Zuko, who has his own space, has his own place, can go and come and go as he pleases, really do whatever he wanted. What could Uncle Iroh do about it? Nothing up until now where he finally draws a line. But he could do whatever he wanted, but he didn't know who he was. And there's a lot of people out there who haven't answered these questions for themselves, but can do all these things, who are independent. But like Zuko, have the past chasing them of other people's expectations, or what do others want for them? And you really have to make your own niche and decide what it is you want in life, and what kind of person you're going to be. And you can be whatever kind of person you want to be. Doesn't matter where you came from. Doesn't matter what anyone's done to you. You're not the things that happen to you. You're who you decide to be. And that's why Uncle Iroh's monologue is so wise and so hard-hitting. Because it's the absolute truth. Yeah. It's, it's like, again, it's one of those things that I would like have framed up on my wall. Because everything Iroh says should just be framed up on my wall. Yeah. Um, but this one especially. Um, so yeah, that entire monologue. And then, oh, Zuko's reaction to it. Mm -hmm. Just like, we just see him as he, as you know, Iroh was monologuing and yet not, I don't want to say yelling, but he's just, he's raising his voice at him. Oh, he's yelling at and, him. Let's just say it like it is. Uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to say, but yeah. Um, you know, Zuko is just, he's growing frustrated by the word and he's just finally just lets it out and he just yells back, but he doesn't say it. He just yells and he drops the swords and the mask for the blue spirit on the ground. And yeah, and it just echoes throughout the chamber and it's just, it's so powerful because like sometimes that's all you want to do. You just want to shout. You just want to break something, you know, when you get to that boiling point, um, it, especially if you're having basically the equivalent of an identity crisis like Zuko is, mm -hmm. um, especially prevalent in the next episode. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's very, very difficult for Zuko to hear those things, but he absolutely needed to hear them. And sometimes that's, you know, tough love is the best answer for people like Zuko because mm -hmm. they'll just never get the message either way. <laughs> yeah. Now, the rest of the game, meanwhile, they wind up ambushed, being led into a trap when they open their door. And I, I kind of love that little moment where Sokka, what, what does he say? Where he's like, oh, you haven't seen that before or something <laughs> where like all the dialogue says. Yeah, when they're <laughs> hanging from the ceiling. <laughs> and I love That's it. Not something every day. And it reminds me of earlier when they wind up in uh in Bossing Say and they're riding the train in, isn't it? And Sokka's mm -hmm. just rehearsing all the things where he's like, what if the whole city's underwater and being attacked by killer shrimp? And they're just right. just like anything could happen. And I just love that little bit of a meta moment where Sokka is kind of like, you know, of all the things that could have happened to us in this episode, I didn't expect ninja dai li warriors to be hanging from chains on the ceiling that, that that's new that's a new one right <laughs> yes and then we get a really really awesome fight scene between oh. the entire gang jet and his gang and the dai li and long fang and 
it's it's just so well i love that everybody gets a moment to just kind of shine throughout the episode it's so good it's tremendous superb and then on top of it then long fang long fang right i've been screwing up his name this entire time long fang escapes in like classic you know general grievous time to abandon ship like okay you right. know there goes ming the merciless running off of flash gordon through the door yeah. <laughs> you'll never catch me and then runs off leaving of course all of his cronies to continue fighting because he knows they're gonna lose because mm. plot armor but Right. But then uh it's Jet and Aang who go after him. And mm -hmm. then we have that winter soldier moment where he, he lets yes. him know that the king Who has... the hell is Bucky? <laughs> who the hell is Jet? Right. And so and so he unlocks his programming with the phrase, uh, was it the king has in, invited you to like, Yeah, it's like, Je the earth king has invited you to lake lao guy that's kind of like the trigger word yes yes invited you to lake lao guy but so he does that and all of a sudden he is now programmed i love how visually how they do it with a gleam like the, the just the shine goes out of his eyes his eyes are just flat and matte color with no shine in them just the soul is going yeah, out of and his pupils and his pupils dilate too yeah yeah and it's, yeah, it's gives great. Him a very like yeah it gives him a very like again creepy effect because we're not used to seeing the character's eyes look like that so it kind of gives them like an otherworldly type it makes look, them look like, like a, a robot ghost. like a robot yeah, yeah it's really really yeah. cool i uh i love that element by the way in storytelling i love um anything uh magic spell brainwashing mind control drugs something being done to turn a hero believably in some scenario against another hero Yes, I love that too. Because it, it adds drama and tension because you're like, I don't want these two to fight. Like, these yeah. are either friends or comrades or whatever. And, you know, and you know that they wouldn't be doing it if one of them wasn't brainwashed and the other is just like fighting to survive, just like Aang is. <laughs> Aang's there. He's like, we know each other. He's a friend from work. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. And, and it's really, really cool. And it kind of, you know, it it's interesting because when he is under mind control, I feel like he doesn't fight as well. No. Because we've seen Jet fight Aang one on one when he actually like when he's in his own head. And, you know, he was kicking his ass. But when he's under mind control, it's almost like he's fighting against it so much, or he's trying to fight against it so much that it's causing his fighting to be less than it would be if you know, Jet is somebody who his actions are always guided by his convictions. And being mm -hmm. mind-controlled into fighting somebody, his body may be in it, and he is a super-skilled fighter, but his soul isn't in it. His convictions are not behind every mm -hmm. swing of his weapons, which, when he fights in his own presence of mind, that's exactly what he's fighting with. Take that away, you take yeah. away you're taking away the soul of a warrior and only using the body of a warrior exactly and that's just a really cool visual thing like you can really feel how much he's fighting against yeah. his programming quote mm -hmm. unquote um but uh yeah and then you know ang finally is able to break him of his brainwashing just for a moment and by reminding him of yeah all the time that he spent with the gang of his family of his freedom fighters 
And, you know, it's it's cliche, but it works because that is who this character is. He's is so wrapped up in the connections he's made with these people and of, you know, what the Fire Nation did to his family and all that, that it would be the thing to break him out of his uh, brainwashing. You know what I love from a character development beat on this and a development of the relationship between Aang and Jet when they're in the house trying to break him out of his mind control Aang suggests that he remember what the Fire Nation did to his family. Remember everybody that you've lost as a way to pull Dredge up the trauma of the past and pull him back into the present of the presence of mind. Mm -hmm. The second time that Aang has to draw him out of his mind control, he doesn't jog his memory by using people he's lost. He drags him out of it by pointing him to people that he's found. It would be the difference between Aang focusing on having lost everybody at the Southern Air Temple instead focusing on his new family, Sokka and Katara, and everybody he cares about who is here now. Mm -hmm. And, like, that is just huge for Aang to look at him and define, we need to bring Jet back to who he is at his core. And his first impulse is he's a hurt, angry person. But later we see the respect that Aang has for Jet change and grow, where now Aang has taken his bright side, always find the bright side of personality, and apply it to somebody who he could be very bitter against and not trust. And now when he wants to bring Jet back to the core of who he is, he's like, this is a guy who values his family, who would do anything for his friends. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Because, I mean... You, know, you can say a lot about Jet's character, but he definitely cares deeply about his circle, the people that, you know, his freedom fighters. Um, and even someone like Katara, you know, it, like, I think that he does care very deeply for them. And so it would, it makes sense that that is what draws him out of the mind control. And, you know, in one final heroic act, he attempts to kill Long Fang, who, you know, obviously he doesn't, unfor he unfortunately fails. And then Long Fang delivers a killer blow to him, you know, oh. a rock boulder straight into the chest, probably breaking every bone in his chest, if I had to guess. Because he is, um, like, paralyzed, like, down on the ground. He does yeah, not no, move he, an inch. He is, he is out. And it's... it Okay. <laughs> this hit me quite quite physically um hit me so hard as a kid because i always really liked jet as a character i know that like i said before he is a very divisive character either love him or hate him i always loved him and seeing how he was genuinely trying to help them and was trying to be better and like of course the moment he he gets his redemption is when he gets killed mm -hmm. um and for him he's a fucking teenager and they just straight up murdered his ass right in front of us um and it just it was so shocking to me as a kid i was like is he wait is he really dead oh my god they just killed him well, and it's so good the way that they allude to that too where he's like i'll be all right and then toff again really good writing that she's been a lie detector in the episode on a serious note as a joke and now in the gravest of circumstances is like i can tell he's lying yeah, and when Katara brings out the healing water and she's just, like, feeling all over his chest with the water and she just says, this isn't good. And then, you, you know, Toph basically confirming. It's just like, ugh. And his freedom fighter staying behind and guarding his body. And I'm just like... I love, so I love that little brief moment, the last we see of them, 
where and i don't remember their names the one kneels down mm-hmm. and like all that that they do is just stroke his forehead in like his final moments mm-hmm. and just like be you know their face is the last thing he'll see and then the other one the quiet guy with the bow and arrow stands off and he just draws an arrow ready to kill the next person who's going to walk through that door you know for sake of defending yeah. the body of his friend and his his leader it's it's yeah. really such a very brief moment but it's so sombering and honestly really just yeah it's 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 really good i'm like on the verge oh, yeah. of getting emotional about it <laughs> right yeah no and it it is very very effective and without being bloody or gory or yeah. even showing the on-screen death you just you get everything you need to know just based off what the characters say and their reactions mm-hmm. um so yeah very 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 good death you did good jet like you died a hero we're proud yeah. of you man um <laughs> we're not gonna cry <laughs> um so we're not, we're not crying we're not crying you guys are crying amanda and i are not crying right um so then the gang they finally they break out of lake Lao guy and they are just on the run because you know long Fang has escaped they got to get him Appa's no longer in the cells under the lake so they're like he's got to be somewhere else we got to go get him um and this this moment oh my gosh every time i swear this whole episode is full of moments that i just get full body chills yeah because the bad guys are right there and they raise a wall yeah they're cornered and then they raise another wall behind yeah, them they are absolutely cornered and so and there's water so they can't i mean they could technically but like there's there's too many bad guys yes <laughs> there's too many bad guys um and they're all just like super stressed and just suddenly momo who i don't was momo with them i don't think he was no, 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 with no. them in i life. actually distinctly remembered it too and i took a mental note of it that when they all went down into the tunnel momo looked at the rest of them and he flew off into the sky so when they all came back to the surface he that's right he flew back down yeah that's right mm-hmm. okay okay i was like i don't think he was with them mm-hmm. <laughs> um yeah no that makes sense uh i do remember that shot so yeah momo suddenly comes into frame and he like hops on ang's shoulder and you know he's trying to like pull on him to show him something and we like pan up to the sun and suddenly just the shadow of appa appears and it just flies so fast into the camera and he nails the two giant earth walls that the dai li have created sending them all into the water and you know long fang being long fang and terrible is like oh i can take care of you myself and y'all just yeets him into the water by his leg i love that i can handle you by myself (laughs) it was like the precursor to the i am a god you dull creature i will not be bullied (laughs) i just opera just grabs him by the leg and slams him into the ground this is literally the corporate needs you to find the difference between these two pictures hulk and loki long bang and appa they're the same picture (laughs) (laughs) um and then this moment oh my god i've told you literally the fastest way to get me to cry is to just have ang cry in the show and every single time i see the episode with the ending with ang reuniting with appa and he's just got tears streaming down his eyes and his he's burying his face in the fur and he just says i've missed you buddy I'll, i'm getting <laughs> really gonna cry um oh my god it's breathe, so good breathe through it, amanda i know i know <laughs> literally like literally tearing up um 
it is so relieving. Like, yeah. it's just like a weight has been dropped off of not only Aang and the gang's shoulders, but our shoulders, because this is a reunion we've been like denied for half a season, you know? And we've seen Aang suffering for so many episodes. We've seen him overcoming, you know, rage and anger. We've seen him overcoming, you know, swallowing back and holding back his feelings. We've watched Appa for an episode, see what's been happening over weeks of him being beaten and abused and caged and tortured and and lost and starving and and hurt yeah and to finally get this reconciliation and this reunion is just oh it's so beautiful and it's such a perfect cap off to the episode um and there it's such a little moment and they didn't have to add it in but i'm so glad that they did when they're finally flying over lake laogai all of them on appa um, for like I said, the first time in several episodes that they've been together. Um, and we see a shot of Katara and she's looking out over the water. And again, she doesn't say anything, but we know exactly what she's thinking. Like she's, and she's got tears in her eyes and you know that she's thinking about Jet and mm -hmm. the fact that he's still down there and he probably will stay down there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and then Aang just pulls her into a hug with everybody and that, that's it. That's the episode. And it's just like the most perfect 24 minutes <laughs> ever. <laughs> I just, oh my God. Again, there's nothing I would change. I would mm -hmm. cut everything is perfectly paced. Like, I don't know how they could have made it more perfect, honestly. <laughs> the, the, I've said it three or four times and I'll say it again. The animation is beautiful. The visual storytelling is great. The characters' humor and action and drama is perfectly balanced. The character brings back, you know, um, the final, the final show for Jet. And it's an incredible staging point for the, for his redemption, uh, the perfect end of his arc. And, and a sacrifice there trying trying to save everyone and end the threat and kill the villain um the the reunion of everybody at the end the huge conflict there that now begins for zuko in a very powerful scene with him and iroh i agree with you there's not a thing that could be changed to make this better like I, honestly i watched it and i felt like i'd watched an hour of avatar like this was a movie and I'm very proud to say that this is a, a not even hesitant 10 out of 10 for me. Hell yes. Honestly, I think that this might be the only 10 out of 10 for the show for me as well. Like this, this truly is like peak avatar for me. Um, not to say that there aren't a ton of great episodes coming oh, up, even the next two, but absolutely. But this is like, Oh, this is perfect. Like there's yep. nothing nothing I would change. So I, I would say 10 out of 10 for this one too. Oh my gosh. That's so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> now I want to go back and watch it, even though I literally just watched it. Today. Oh, I'm a hundred percent. I'm a hundred percent rewatching it. Well, the thing is, so, you know, I was a little bit later than normal getting into the chat. I said, I'd be in a little bit at one time. And I was like, I need about 10 more minutes. I actually pushed myself up rewatching some parts of this episode, the Iro and Zuko scene, uh, there in, in Appa Cell, I replayed, uh, I replayed the whole fight, uh, the, the, the whole fight that they had. And, um, I also replayed, um, uh, both times when Jet got broken out of his mind control. So I like, I mm -hmm. rewatched like a quarter of the episode. <laughs> right. As I was going, oh, I just like, I have to see that part over again. I just kept backing it up. 
Yeah. It's so good. It's so good. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. Need to calm down. All right. You're excited. Oh, okay. Dry Ooh. your eyes, everybody. Right. There's still a lot more yeah. to go because next we have episode <laughs> 18, The Earth King. Uh, this mm -hmm. episode was written by John O'Brien. It is directed by Ethan Spaulding. Uh, it's animated by JM Animation. The episode aired November 17th, 2006. And the IMDb rating of The Earth King is a respectable 8.5 out of 10. Mm -hmm. And we only had two fun facts for this episode, surprisingly. Um, the Earth King's throne is a giant badger mole, which makes sense as per the, shores, the show's lore, uh, they were the original earthbenders. So you see a lot of earth um, or the badger mole imagery throughout the Earth Kingdom. Obviously, it would make sense. Um, and then our second fun fact is that when Aang is talking about the guru at the Eastern Air Temple, Sokka asks if is a, wow Sokka asks if a guru is some sort of poisonous blowfish. This is a reference to Fugo or Fugo Fugu. I think it's Fugu. Yes, <laughs> a uh, sushi prepared from poisonous blowfish. Um, I just found this funny because this has nothing to do with Avatar, but one of my favorite episodes of The Simpsons actually had an entire episode about Fugu and Homer eating Fugu yep. and thinking he's going to die. It is genuinely one of my favorite episodes of the show, and I've watched it so many times, and it just it reminded me of that, so I had to put it in there. <laughs> I, I, I've never seen the episode of The Simpsons, but it's really famous, so I just know of it. Um, and I yeah. love I love sushi, so I, I knew about Fugu. And so he says, it, it is Guru poisonous blowfish? I was like, ha, sushi joke. Got it. <laughs> um. Okay, yeah, so that, that was basically it. All the others weren't very interesting, so just like, eh, we'll just keep it to two. We have a lot to talk about, so. We do, we do. Um, I, I gotta I gotta say, I echoed Toph's, I echoed Toph's sentiment when she goes, I've seen enough of Ba Sing Se, and I can't even see. And, right. and I'm, I'm just, with... I'm just <laughs> at that point, too, where I'm just like, this place is awful. Worst city ever. Worst city ever. Yes. Um, I see. I love Bossing Say as a city. Like, yeah, it is. It's awful. It's terrible. But I love it because of that. Like, honestly, Bossing Say is one of my favorite locations in Avatar. Oh, it's so cool. Just because it's so messed up and so awful. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, and I love the green aesthetic because I love the color green. Um, but uh yeah no i i totally i i feel that tough because if i were actually in bossing say i would want to get out too it's terrible oh yeah well we've, um, we've had so many episodes now that have taken place in bossing say and it's been it's just been really hard like on our heroes they've been turned around in circles they have you know wound up with dead ends and frustrations trying to find appa they've been tricked they've been backstabbed they've been led on a wild goose chase one of their one of their top had to go to the spa top had to go to the spa exactly you know Sokka, his heart was broken that he'll never be a famous rapper um you right. know you know, you know, and but the thing is, they've had such a rough time, and they've been led around by the nose and tricked and and everything so much, and now they finally got all the they got all the dirt on them, and <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I didn't plan that pun. That one just happened. That was for free. 
So, but they've got all the dirt they need on on uh, Lung Lung Fen, Lung Feng. I'm, I'm, I'm never gonna. I'm, I'm, there's too many names on this show. There's too many characters. Long Fang, yes. Right. So now they can go, and I'm just like, good. I want them to be done with this place because there's bigger other things for them to do, and they're all so ready to leave. But like, I totally mm-hmm. felt, I totally felt it when they're when Sokka's like, I got a really good feeling about this. We're gonna, we're gonna go back, positive thinking. We're, now we can go to the Earth King and do the thing we actually wanted to do. Because it's been a long time since the library episode where we figured all that out. Yeah. A lot's happened. Yeah. So, yeah. And then, so I, I love Toph's line of, I don't trust the new positive Sokka. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. Because even as a kid, I was like, that's weird that Sokka's being like so like, positive and optimistic about their mission <laughs> like that's not like him at all sokka's been um, brainwashed <laughs> right long thing brainwash you didn't hate <laughs> um yeah so um so yeah they take Appa and they you know make their way towards the earth kingdom palace and this this right here is one of the best fight scenes we've had up to this point Like, this is a very underrated fight scene. Like, when I see lists or, you know, polls or whatever saying what the best fights are in Avatar, this usually doesn't even crack top 10. But to me, it's definitely top 10. Like, the way that they use their bending and, you know, just the way that they each have their own little part to play in the invasion of the palace. Oh, yeah. And not to mention that, like, Aang is a complete badass as, like, giant boulders are flying toward them. And he just, like, kick explodes one and he just cuts one in half. And I'm like, dude. out flinching. He's so pissed. (laughs) Like, I love it. Um, yeah, there's, there's so many amazing moments that being one of the early moments in the fight scene when they finally land, um, in the palace, you know, yard or whatever, um, they've got a whole brigade of soldiers that are like, you know, coming out for them and, you know, Katara's throwing around her water whip and Aang and, uh, Toph are using their earthbending together, which is so cool to see. Um, and then my personal favorite moment in the entire fight. And this is probably my favorite display of waterbending in the entire show, honestly, mm-hmm. is when Katara, you know, they, uh, Aang and Toph, they build a sort of, I don't know, protective shield around Appa mm-hmm. because they're throwing giant boulders at them. And Katara just comes up from around the bol- the shield and she pulls out her water whip, her signature weapon, and she uses it as a sort of, I don't know, an ice rink or, or ramp or whatever. And she, she, it's hard to explain. She just skips across this entire moat that's around the palace, uses the water from the moat to create another water whip that she uses to literally slap all of the guards from up top on the stairs and it's just, it's incredible. And, they, and then they I'm land like, in the moat and then she freezes the moat. Yes. And I'm just like, yes, my queen. She's just doing this all by herself. And it's just incredible. It's and so, so cool. fluid and beautiful to look at. I, I, um, she, she was killing it. And, and and my personal favorite use of bending in the whole thing was Toph putting her hands up mm-hmm. and turning stairs. all the stairs into an incline. I'm like, <gasps> yep. whoa, yep. that's I, awesome. I love 
I love the sound effect when, you know, she she pulls all the stairs and they just sort of flatten out. And it's almost like a, I don't even know how to really describe some, but just like a ricochet sound. And mm-hmm. it's just so cool. And all the guards just start sliding down this giant earth slide. And they're going up. They're using the earth bending to pull themselves up as these guards are falling down. And it's it's like, this is so creative. I can't believe uh, When I saw higher. the guards all sliding down the slide past them and they're like apologizing to them, like I half was <laughs> hoping, and like, I would if, it, if I was there, I would have been like, and if you guys lived in Omashu, you would do this every day. <laughs> yes. All that Sokka's like, guys, seriously, we're actually on your side as they're invading the palace. <laughs> like, yeah, and guitar is just like looking off on the side, like, "Oh my god, all those people are dead." Yeah, I was gonna um, say because you yeah. know because tough, like tough is no chill with the earth bending. She creates giant earth walls and just like slams people with them at four hundred miles an hour. And remember in the previous episode yeah. where they're fighting, she like creates pillars of stone under each person that like pins mm-hmm. their rib cages against the ceiling. And I'm just yeah. like, "There's no way you're getting down from that." Tough is no problem with murder. <laughs> Hey, out of sight, out of mind. Right. Um, and then they finally actually get into the palace and Sokka's going, because like obviously he's not bending, he's not really fighting much, he's yeah. just trying to get them in. And he's going to each door. I love where he opens <laughs> the doors and behind them soldiers are just getting clobbered behind him. Soldiers are flying through the air. <laughs> yes. And then he, you know, he accidentally walks in on a lady and she burglar. And it's just like great little comedy bits there. Um, Saka has to chill. But, uh, the Kyoshi Warriors, the Poets Club, <laughs> and now he's just bursting in the doors. At least he apologized. <laughs> um, <laughs> it makes it all better. And then they finally find the right doors, these gigantic, you know... The big fancy doors. Yes, the big fancy doors. And Aang just... <laughs> While Sokka is against the door, just blast them with air and just break them off their hinges. I was kind Again, of, Aang is no chill. I was kind of hoping that Sokka was going to jump and kick the door. And when he did, at the exact moment, Aang would blow the doors down and Sokka would be like, whoa. It's like, like admire his <laughs> muscles for a second. He would. What a uh, What a try. <laughs> um, yeah. And then we finally get to see, for the first time, clearly... The Earth King. And he's just like a normal dude. Like, it's, again, it's another great subverting of expectations because you're expecting, you know, some evil monarch or, you know, some charismatic, threatening person. Yeah, someone like Fire Lord Ozai. But no, he's just like a normal dude. He's got like little spectacles on and a pet bear, Bosco. Like, and it's just chill. And you realize, oh, well, yeah, that would make sense because Long Fang is the brains behind the whole operation. You know, yeah. he's he's the evil vizier to the sultan. Like, you know, so um, so yeah, and the admittedly for me, the the audience with the king and the way that that they outed Long Fang with the whole oh look he's the one who captured who captured appa and we can prove it and the, the kind of the back and forth out to the to the lake and everything and then i i'm not gonna lie it was good that they had those beats of like yeah he bit him in the leg so of course he would have a mark from appa very clever and we can prove mm-hmm. that there's a war because 
because Lord Ozai's giant drill is still penetrating the wall, they, we apparently haven't yeah. we haven't moved it the entire time, which is kind of weird that like you haven't moved it out this entire time and just closed up the wall. They're just like, eh, whatever. Eh. <laughs> which makes sense. I mean, I wouldn't. What would you? What would they even do with it? You know, the thing is giant. They couldn't even right. stop it. Like five different easy ways I pointed out, but. But the thing is, a little, this entire scene for me was really anticlimactic because it was played as kind of like a lighthearted, funny thing. And I kind of wished for all we've been through that they hadn't done it that way. So I'm not going to lie, it was a little bit of a letdown. Now, of course, later in the episode, this isn't the end of Long Fang. So this isn't like his big dramatic farewell. But it was just so right. anticlimactic the way the guards just kind of usher him out of the room, and and you know and they're like yay and they all high five and everything and I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. so so that part of the episode was a little flat for me. Oh yeah, no, I I agree. Like I think that it is important, just because. I don't know. I'm of the opinion that like I like seeing characters fail like for the plan not to work out the first time. So mm-hmm. the first plan was let's show him like Lao Guy. But that didn't work because but okay, here's the thing. <laughs> I'm about to get into it. I am 100% with Sokka. Even as a kid, I was like, okay, sure, the tunnel itself may have been like destroyed so they can't get into it, but the fact that it's there like, clearly there was something there that has been destroyed. That kind of proves that, yeah, like, this is, he even says, this proves it even more. Like, right. I thought the same thing as a kid. I was like, there's clearly something there. I was expecting nothing to be there. Yeah. Like, I thought that they would have just completely gotten rid of everything. That, every the top was going to walk up and try to, like, earthbend, and, like, nothing would be there right. for her to earthbend up. Right. And then they'd be like, and then that would obviously make the king be like, what am I supposed to be looking at here? Like, and that would be right. understandable why he wouldn't believe them. But that, right. I'm but like, this was the equivalent of somebody opening a door and the doorway being bricked up. And it's like, oh, see, you were lying. What you said is here isn't here. It's like, don't you find the fact that it's a giant brick wall and in, in, in where find this door? <laughs> Just a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So even as a kid, I was like, I'm with Sokka. Like, I don't know what your problem is, but <laughs> I mean, the King's been indoors his entire life. Okay. That's true. Um, so then, yeah, going to the wall, which again, I like that they brought the wall back because it makes sense. They wouldn't have been able, cause it's only been a couple at the most, like a week or two since the drill incident. Yeah. Um, so you know, they wouldn't have been able to take it apart and, you know, store it away or get rid of it or whatever in that amount of time. Um, So it would make sense that they would just try to cover it up as best as they could. So, you know, I like that they brought it back, but you're right. It does feel a bit like, well, that was wrapped up pretty easily. Like, you'd think that there would be even more to it or more convincing that would be need to be done. Well, and even the fact that, like, Long Feng didn't even have, like, a convincing a convincing argument or, like, plan prepared <laughs> for, like, a guy who has successfully brainwashed an entire city. You would think he would have, that he wouldn't have just forgotten that there was a giant drill outside. And, like, on the off chance anybody from outside ever got word to the king, what would I tell them? He's just like, oh yeah, it's 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 an, it's an it's an experiment, and we're using imported parts from the Fire Nation. Project. Right. Okay. 
So yeah. I get it was played for laughs, but like with everything they've been through, I was really hoping him being exposed would have been like a dramatic moment. And I was like, eh, mm-hmm. all right, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, I totally agree. Um, but with that being said, I think that the ending of the episode uh, is very strong. So they they return to the Earth Kingdom's pal or the Earth King's palace, and turns out that Long Fang has been hoarding letters that have been sent to the gang for you know the time that they've been in bossing say um sokka and katara they have a map to where their dad Dakota is he's like near the earth kingdom um toff's <laughs> toff's mom quote unquote is in the city and she wants to see her and ang obviously gets a note from guru patik who attached to uh office horn in office lost days so they're all like super excited, but also they're kind of sad because they're all going to split up. Um, and so, you know, Aang decides to take Sokka to Hakoda, his dad, and Katara decides she's going to stay with the Earth King and help plan the invasion uh, of the Fire Nation on the day of Black Sun. And Toph goes off on her own to meet up with her mom. So they're all separated. And you know, that's always a scary thing in any show or movie when the characters all separate. Any, <laughs> any, like, no, any D&D player knows you never split the party. Exactly. Everybody <laughs> has exactly to stick together. Did. And of course, the second that they split up, everything falls to shit. <laughs> yep. Uh, Toph gets in a trap uh, from Master Shifu or Jinfu and um, I can't remember. The yeah, name. that was awesome. The end of the episode made up for like the really flat middle, and I was like, okay, maybe the writers intentionally made it kind of kind of melodramatic or anticlimactic, mm-hmm. so that we would think it's all light and all giggles and all funny high fives and hugs before we leave, and then horrible stuff starts happening right at the last two minutes of the episode. Exactly. Yeah, and. <laughs> So, like, Aang and Sokka are going on their trip. Uh, Toph gets captured. Katara's with um, the Earth King. And then, right as Aang and Sokka are about to leave on Appa, they get told by one of the generals that, hey, there are three women here. You know, they call themselves the Kyoshi Warriors. And Sokka gets super excited. He's like, oh, my God, it's Suki. And, like, so we know immediately we're like, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Even as a kid, I was yeah and oh man like you know it deep in your heart and you're hoping you're wrong but then the second that they show them at the very end it's the last shot of the episode and they just bow down to the king and then when they rise up you see the golden eyes of azula and you hear her voice and you're like fuck 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 (laughs) like they are in the city now in the king's court Mm -hmm. like not gonna be good no no it's not no it's not and we know that there we know that there's a lot still to hit the fan because there's still two more episodes left. So I I I'm kind of worried what's gonna happen next. I, I I'm not okay. sure, but um yeah, this episode, like I said, uh he had a bit of a hollow part in the middle for me. Um again, maybe it was written intentionally that way to kind of give us a false sense of security that all this all went really smoothly. I mean, obviously at the end of the episode it's even revealed that Long Fang is just in a kind of kind of frowsy hotel room basically in prison because you know the the secret intelligence big brothers the dialier yeah, the, the dialier still loyal to him yes um 
the episode overall is good. I feel like it had a strong start and that it just kind of felt a little disjointed. Um, it had a really long goodbye for everybody at the end, but of course a great hook for the next episode. So kind of a mixed bag for me. I'm probably going to give this episode, I mean, it's not bad, um, but I'm going to give this episode like a, I'm going to give it like a 7.8. Okay. Not bad. Not bad. Um, I'm actually going to agree for once with IMDb. Uh, this is not a nine or above. I think that this is a great 8.5 because yes, it does have that. If it had a really uh, solid middle part of the episode, I think it would be a nine. Um, but I think that the opening fight, one of my favorite fight scenes, I could watch it all day, every day. Um, and the end hook are both so strong that they actually push this up higher than it would have been otherwise. Um, so I, I'll stick with IMDb's 8.5 out of 10 for this one. But you know what? We got so involved in all the stuff in Bossing Say, we did forget about one, oh my God. one plot line. <laughs> yeah, this is the second time. This, is... <laughs> <laughs> we, this time we remembered before the end, but I looked at my notes and did a yeah. double take about Zuko's dreams, where Zuko yeah. is in this giant yeah. personality conflict, sick. and his nightmares are insane. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's I I can't believe that we forgot. This. Okay, well you know <laughs> what? I'm changing my changing my rating right now because I forgot about all the stuff that it was this episode that was in. Um my rating is officially moving up to an eight point two. There you go. <laughs> um yeah, so so Zuko this whole time, you know, he's he's freed Appa and now he's going through, as Uncle Iroh says, a metamorphosis because he is so not used to doing good things just to do them that it, like his physically altering him and yeah. making him actually sick. Like, um, and this can actually happen. This, this does happen with people that go so against their nature that their body has a physical reaction to it. Um, uh, whether it's getting sick or, you know, losing a ton of weight or gaining a ton of weight, whatever. Um, so this is a very real thing. And, so we see at first, you know, he's got a fever, he's dizzy, he can't, you know, sit upright. And he starts to have these dreams. And I can't remember, is the first one with the dragons? I think so. The first one is the dragons. Uh, where, like, okay. he's there and then they're both whispering in his ear. One side is Azula, is the blue dragon, isn't she? And then uh, Uncle Iroh's voice is the red dragon on the other side. And then they disappear and, like, the whole throne room disappears. And, like, everything falls out from under him. Yeah. Did you notice that he does not have a scar in the first dream? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so weird seeing him without one, but like, like it's because it's basically like seeing Fire Lord Ozai because he and Ozai look very similar. Just, you know, yeah. Zuko's got his scar, obviously. So it it's kind of telling that, yeah, that's kind of what he sees himself as, like what he could have been. Right. Um, had he not vanished and burned and, you know, all that. Exactly. Um, so yeah, it's it's very creepy and oh my gosh, uh, Gray's voice who voices Azula, she's so so scary and like oh. it's like seductive but very scary at the same time. Um, and you also see a brief glimpse of Ursa, his mom, mm -hmm. and so yeah, it's a lot of again very nightmarish type imagery. The scariest one was the other dream where he looks in the mirror and he sees his head shaved like Aang with the Avatar thing on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's basically Aang superimposed onto his body. And I 
to this day, I'm still trying to kind of figure out what they were going for with that. Like it works as like a creepy, like, oh my God, like I've become what I hunted. So but... so here, here is my interpretation of, of the symbolism, the way it hit me. Just, I didn't have to think mm -hmm. about it. So this is just my, my bare impression. And maybe I'm wrong. I'd be interested to know what other people think of it. But my impression of it was he when he thinks of himself being important his the his only importance has been in relation to the avatar without the avatar he is unimportant and so he looks upon himself and for a moment sees is my whole identity embodied in the avatar is does is he what makes me who i am and so that symbolized that looking in the mirror and seeing himself as ang as the avatar like you said ang superimposed onto him mm-hmm yeah. And it's kind of interesting that when he wakes up, the first thing he does, not after the first dream, but after the second dream, is touches his scar to make sure it's still there. And in a way, it's kind of him taking ownership, I think, of his trauma and being like, am I still me? Let me see if I bear the scar of something that is uniquely mine. Yep, mm -hmm. I'm me. Yeah, I, I love that shot. That's probably my favorite shot in all of the Zuko scenes just because you know it's this close-up of his scar and he touches it and he hesitates but it's almost like his eye closes and it's almost like a relief yep. like and this is the first time that we've seen him kind of look relieved about something like that like his scar um and i don't know it's just again you could really look at it in a bunch of different ways and i honestly haven't really thought about the symbolism like i said with him uh, as ang you could just see it as, oh, it's just a nightmare because, you know, nightmares make you see crazy shit. But, you know, I'm sure that that's not, I'm sure that there was more that they meant to say with that. Um, but I do love him touching his scar and just that relief that kind of washes over him when he knows that it's him, that he is himself. He's not Aang. He's not the Avatar, you know, all that. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's really, really interesting. And it's, it's strange to see him in such a vulnerable position, mm -hmm. like literally physically vulnerable. You know, he's sick. He's being looked after by, um, I was gonna say Mako, by uh, <laughs> Iroh. And, you know, this kind of is a mirror to earlier in this season when Zuko was looking after Iroh when he had gotten shot yeah. by Azula. So, you know, it's, it really does show how much these two care about each other and that they'll just do anything for each other to keep them safe and happy and healthy. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It's just... we had to add that we had to add that extra point five. See, it's so relatively brief. I mean, there's a couple scenes of it, but it's so relatively brief in this episode. Yeah. And the Iroh and Zuko stuff was so heavy in the previous episode. Mentally, I forgot that it's in this episode. I thought it was in the previous one. Right. But yeah, it adds that extra point five on the rating for me. <laughs> so bumped up to <laughs> bumped up to an eight point three. So eight point three and an eight point five. I think that's pretty good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, Zuko saved it. Zuko saved it for me. <laughs> do you think, do you think, be honest with me, you know, they always say that men are babies when they're sick. Do you think that when next time I'm feeling really ill and I really feel pathetic, yes. that I could say that I'm having a conflict inside <laughs> of myself? Yes, you're going through a metamorphosis. <laughs> yes. <laughs> when you emerge, you'll be the beautiful prince you're always meant to be. <laughs> That's what I'll say. I'll look up pathetically and say... I just need some hot tomato soup and maybe a fluffed up <laughs> pillow. Right. 
goodness. Or I just need a bucket of water to ladle out of and then dramatically slurp the whole thing and throw it across <laughs> <Right>. the room. <laughs> so I'm very interested, by the way. I have not only the dangerous hooks at the end or what it means for our heroes and the uh, the Earth Kingdom, of course, as we're heading speeding toward the finale here, um, but very interested to see what this metamorphosis for Zuko means. And if his path will cross again with the heroes, because they crossed already once, will they cross again? Mm, interesting. We shall find out in the next episode. We shall. That's all for today. To all of our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode, so feel free to leave a review or comment, follow the podcast, give us a good rating, and all that good stuff. You can find us on Twitter at Millwood and Micah, and please follow our Instagram at Millwood and Micah Podcast. Thanks again, and we'll be back in the next episode.